Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricard Silvestre. Today I'll be speaking with Frederik Eins and Stefan Larsen. Frederik is an Associate Professor of Computer Science at Linköping University, a member of the European Commission High-Level Expert Group on AI. And Stefan is a lawyer and Associate Professor in Technology and Social Change at Lund University and also an affiliated researcher at Foresch, the green and liberal think tank in Sweden. This is a podcast on our mini-series on tech, which, by the way, we already had the privilege of talking with Frederick on episode 25 about artificial intelligence. And that's going to be the topic of the conversation today. How to make an AI that is lawful, ethical, robust, and how can we solve problems like transparency, diversity, and unfair bias. And before I bring you Stefan and Frederick, also to mention that this podcast serves as a prelude of the webinar that is going to happen on May 14, which is called AI in the EU, a keynote with Dr. Frederick Eins. As a part of the European Liberal Forum project AI in the EU towards a trustworthy development of artificial intelligence, Ford has invited Frederick Eins to hold the keynote speech where he'll present some of his work on trustworthy AI and experiences he have from the policy work with a high-level expert group on AI. To know more about the event, you can visit us on our website, which is liberalforum.eu forward slash events, where you're going to find all the information about the webinar, but also on a Forish webpage, forish.se forward slash AI dash IN dash D dash EU. So AI in the EU with dashes in the middle. But don't worry about it. I'm going to put all these links on the description of the podcast so that you can know more and know how to follow this event online. So with no further ado, I bring you Frederick Eins and Stefan Larsen. I'm very happy to have Stefan Larsen and Frederik Eins here with me today. Gentlemen, how are you? Let's start with Stefan. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm uh, in Malmö, southern Sweden, uh, working from home basically these days. Thanks. Okay, I hope I hope you're safe and healthy and back uh, for a second time on the podcast. First one was a very good one. It's uh, Frederik Heinz. Frederik, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. I'm in Linköping, Sweden. So I'm like 400 kilometers north of uh, Stefan. And uh, we're trying to do the best of the situation and enjoying having podcast discuss discussions like this. Yes, I have a Swedish armada here on the podcast today. I'm very happy to you gentlemen joining me here. And let's start with um, our conversation. And for that, we're going to start with some basic concepts. For people that are lay on this uh, subject or just peripherally, uh, peripherally uh, connected, we talk about a, lo a lot about lawful artificial intelligence, ethical art artificial intelligence, and robust artificial, artificial intelligence. Let's start with that. Let's uh, set some ground rules here on definitions or on this basic concepts for people who are listening to us and trying to know more about this topic. And then maybe I'll start with you, Frederick. How would you describe these three areas of artificial intelligence? Again, lawfulness, ethical, and robust concerns. So 
I would actually take a step up and say that, uh, so I've been part of this high-level expert group on AI, and there we were basically developing an ethics guidelines for what we call trustworthy AI. And in order to be trustworthy, we said that it had to satisfy these three requirements, that it has to be lawful, satisfy a number of ethical principles, and to be robust. And if we start with the last one, I actually think that's one of the more actually more interesting ones in the sense that good intentions are not enough. So, I mean, you can, of course, ha- I mean, I, I assume most developers have the intentions of actually following the, the applicable laws and to have an ethical uh, basis for their work. But uh, the actual, that is not sufficient. You also have to do it in a robust and safe manner. Um, so, so I think that's nice. And then when it comes to these uh, uh, ethical principles, uh, in our ethics guidelines, we actually uh, set out four principles. So the first one was respect for human autonomy. The second one was uh, uh, safety, uh, do no harm. Uh, the third one was to be fair. And the fourth one was about explicability, that we should have an understanding of how these uh, systems work and on what basis they make uh, recommendations or decisions. That's a very good starting points. And then I'll throw it up to you, Stefan. Would you like to add anything else from the explanation that Frederick gave us? And also, uh, I like the good intentions part. Can we elaborate a little bit on that? just wrote a paper on um, uh, governance of AI through ethics guidelines. So I basically wrote a paper on Fredrik's work, you could say, in the high-level expert group. But I think um, that that would be the EU take sort of today on how to govern AI. And I think it's, um, uh, first of all, I think it's really good that it sort of includes the the ethical and the sort of value base. So we, so we also have to acknowledge that and sort of look to, okay, what value bases are sort of at play here? I think that's really a uh, good frame. Uh, and also, I mean, I see, I've seen, um, there's been like a surge in, in critical AI research or like AI research in the sense of, okay, other sort of uh, societal challenges or value bases, you know, the bias issues and stuff like that. That sort of research has grown the last, especially the last five, six years. And so, so I see the ethics guidelines, you know, the, the high-level expert group ethics guidelines as a, a sign of that that type of insights has come the last few years, it's sort of picked up into more of a regulatory approach. Um, so it's a good sign, uh, although, uh, and I, I like that ethics is in in the debate in a sense, but I, um, and it's a sort of in how people talk about ethics around AI. It's very uh, a very wide framework in a sense. Uh, I I'm sure it's sort of this, the classical ethics scholars don't really agree always on on that it fits their definition of ethics. But uh, in, from my sort of social legal point of view, I I don't uh, I don't mind that. I'm just uh, glad that we talk about this sort of governance issues around these new methods and new uh, technologies. So that's uh, that's a good take. I love that. Well, you anticipated a question that I was going to ask you, and then uh, Frederick, feel free to jump in. And that is, with this explosion on investigation, on studying, on writing, and this field of knowledge that is being created now regarding ethics, you just mentioned, and I would like to uh, stay here a little more, how wide is it this uh, range? And do you think that it'll be easy to find common points where we present ethics, discuss ethics, and then apply ethics instead of just 
you know, spending on, in, on an, an eternal debate. In many presentations, I actually said, I think that one of the hardest problems that we will be facing uh, in, in kind of AI research and AI uh, deployment is actually on the values. Because, I mean, so far, we have basically managed to, in some sense, hide most of these discussions. So basically, we assume that if you have the proper education, if you're a decent uh, citizen, you are good to go <laughs> in most situations. But now we actually have to be explicit. We cannot rely on uh, people in that sense, but rather we have to be explicit about what do you want the system to do? I can build the system in a million different ways. Which of these million different ways do you want me to build the system? And, and that forces us to explicitly say, how, what do we mean by fairness? What do we think is fair? Or uh, regarding transparency, what are uh, sufficient levels of transparency? Uh, and in some sense, we have to have a general discussion uh, before the fact, rather than a specific discussion after the fact, which is most of the case today. And you can take a court, I mean, take this example of self-driving cars. I mean, if you look at how do the kind of uh, human, <laughs> how does it work if there is a human accident? Well, then it's after the fact. Then there was an accident. And then you try to figure out, did everyone do uh, the best they, they could do in that situation? Yes or no. Uh, but here, uh, with autonomous cars, we now have to have the discussion in advance and to basically for this imaginary situation, how will your autonomous car deal with that? And of course, this is a much harder problem and uh, also more, in some sense, exciting, I would say. Stefan, you wanted to jump in. I'm just going to add something really quickly because to our listeners, you're coming more from the legalist side of it. So please... Tell us your opinion on that. Now, you mentioned something about the eternal questions, but I, I do think, uh, I mean, new technologies has always stressed the question, how do we govern these things? What do we, I mean, what do we as a society want to do with this? Uh, and, and it's, so that sort of general question is not new. Uh, and we've been struggling with, you know, legal systems uh, at least for 2000 years. So, I mean, it's, it's not an easy question to solve and we will never solve it definitely uh, it's just sort of an ongoing debate but what i do what i do like about this sort of introduction of value uh, value discussions in the debate around ai is that uh, um, we have to struggle and sort of reassess traditional legal um, uh, notions like privacy or data protection or accountability uh, who you know who should be liable for what all those sort of questions needs to be reassessed in, in the light of autonomous technologies. And we, I mean, we basically have to do it. Otherwise, we would just sort of be blind to that side. So I, I, uh, that's why I like the sort of the wide scope of ethics in this type of debate. Um, and also, if you look into the ethics, uh, the guidelines, that stresses both, both lawful, but on the one hand, but also sort of um, at least seven points of, of relevance for ethics, um, at least two or three of those points within the ethic department would be, you know, data protection, accountability, and anti-discrimination. So that that's already sort of pretty regulated um, fields, but uh, but that needs to be reassessed in light of autonomous technology. So, sure, there's no, you know, there's there's no final answer, but I'm really happy that sort of the value base is in the game or in the debate, uh, and then. It will, of course, have to be sort of a negotiation or struggle or 
societal sort of dialogue on, you know, what part should be hard law with strict sort of liabilities and what should be more soft law with sort of standardization or, you know, um, uh, um, responsibilities for for uh, for for companies or um, departments or gov- governmental agencies. So that would be sort of that's what that's the step we're in right now. And there's no sort of the the answer is not definite yet. Sure. I'm going to add here that both uh, Stefan and Frederick has ex- have extensive work done in this area and very good, very good uh, work. And I'll be putting links to the papers that they they will be mentioning, like, for example, Stefan already mentioned this paper and Frederick also has a work done. So those will be in the description of the podcast so that people can read and get in a little more into uh, the details, into the minutiae. In um, here, I'm going to um, throw a curveball, like my American friends say, uh, <laughs> Stefan, following what you just mentioned, let's talk about regulations. So you think companies, they're doing their thing, and then you have, like, for example, the European Union coming to them and say, hey, we would like to have this concerns, those concerns, these things have to be included. Do you see this as uh, something that could be easily done or the big companies will fight this tooth and nail until the end what is your take on that well it can't be easily done i could i could give you that but um um just if you just look at uh, sort of uh, how comp- the biggest com- bigger companies especially the tech companies um sort of handle this issue i we could at least be uh, glad that many of them acknowledge the fact that okay there's there are issues of responsibility here we need to be more clear about who's to be held accountable and stuff like that. So uh, there's some good propositions from the companies, I'd say, that sort of a willingness. Uh, but on the other hand, there is critique. I've I noticed a few scholars critiquing the the get the guidelines, the ethics guidelines that that the the, the approach in, you know. The benefits of ethics is sort of strong on the values, but weak on the implementation, right? I mean, that's the thing with ethics. It's it's not a strong structure for implementation, like law, which is really strong on implementation. So the critique would be that, okay, this might be too soft for uh, and an attempt for companies to sort of avoid liabilities because there's no sort of hammer in this uh, uh, um, guideline approach. But on the other hand, I'm just... At, at the moment, we will still have to wait and see sort of where this goes, in a sense. Because um, um, on the other hand, if you strike too harshly with regulation too early, you risk having sort of bad law, in a sense, that it's really hard. Some of these parts are really hard to regulate because it, it will, it will, you will have to sort of divide between interest. And some, some parts of how to regulate AI is sort of, uh unanswered i mean no not even researchers dealing with it does really know sort of what what the key um challenges how how to define them like one of the big things is transparency i think we sh- will come back to that but sort of to w- what level of explainability do you require from uh, an autonomous system like there's aspects in the gdpr for example on autonomous decision making um but it's sort of a debate on how you'd explain that for people and how much you should explain, how much information should it be there and stuff like that. So so there's a bunch of really tricky questions that we don't really we don't really have an answers for yet. So to to have a really strong law on those parts would be just taking a chance in a sense from a regulatory perspective. So it has to be sort of a struggle and sort of a uh, 
dialogue, negotiation. a sort of negotiation, right? All right, awesome. Frederick, you want to jump so in? I would, here? I would also, I mean, from my experience from the high level group is that industry or kind of companies are positive towards and mostly positive in the sense that they want to know what the rules are because if they don't even yeah. know the rules it will be very hard to do anything uh, but then of course there is always the tension about how strict should it be and 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 here from a kind of what's a more personal perspective who's not a lawyer uh, what i feel is a challenge here is that it's really hard as stefan says to in advance know the consequences uh, of this regulation and what is the appropriate level of regulation so i think yeah i know now it's hard but i mean in some sense it should be a necessary to in some sense try <laughs> we need a little bit more agile development as we say in software development that you basically have to try you you, you kind of uh, you i mean it's very hard to ask uh, a customer what do you want exactly from the product they will say tell you something but what they say is usually not what they really want. Uh, so instead, you have to show them, here is the product that you asked for. Is that what you want? No, it's not what I want. I wanted more of this, less of that, and so on. And then you have to work iteratively together with those that are going to use it. Uh, and that's how you actually build really useful systems. So uh, that approach would I would have kind of preferred. I know from legal perspective, that's really a challenge, but uh, I really think we need to try, I mean, we have to yeah, try what works and then learn from that and then improve over time. All right, uh, Frederick, I'm going to stay with you because I'm going to take advantage of that experience you have in talking with the stakeholders, because another concern, and we will be talking about transparency really uh, soon, but another concern is the protection of fundamental rights uh, free expression, the right to receive import information. You uh, mentioned on your work that humans have to be in command of this kind of processes. But again, will there be resistance when you say, okay, certain, certain lines should not be crossed in protection of data, in access to data? Again, we're talking about this has all to be negotiated, but Again, like I asked uh, Stefan before, will these negotiations be um, easier than it looks for people outside the system? What's your opinion on that? I mean, I think all of these discussions are, are challenging because there are no, not, they're neither easy nor obvious answers. Um, so I think one aspect here is when you take this, you I mean we we often talk about meaningful human control. And I think this notion of meaningful human control actually means different things in different settings. I mean, you can take one extreme example. Take your the airbag of a car. I mean, that's a life and death decision that is taken completely autonomous because we could never react fast enough to determine whether the airbag should be inflated or not. And in some sense, that's the whole purpose uh, of the system. But again, it's one of those decisions that if it uh, inflates in the right situation, there is an accident, it saves life. But it can actually also cause problems if it inflates in the wrong situation, for example, that uh, you cannot see anything and therefore you kind of uh, yeah, leave the road and so on. So, uh, and there we want the system to make autonomous decisions, while in other situations it might be completely different. Uh, and actually, to me, the, the biggest challenge is probably to define 
what systems do we want to regulate? So what is it that we're really regulating here? Is it the individual decisions? Is there the systems? Is it the general technology? And, and my take on that is that in order to do meaningful regulation, I think we have to be much more specific. So, so personally, I, I find it very hard to suggest regulation for AI in general. But if we were to take an automated decision-making system, such as, for example, an airbag or a uh, maybe a credit card uh, uh, transaction system that verifies that your, this transaction seems to be legit or a bank loan or something like that. I mean, those are very specific situations. And there, I think we have a much better chance of uh, providing suitable regulation, which can then also take this uh, meaningful human control and uh, the kind of broader human rights perspective on it. Okay, Stefan, um, I'm going to throw it to you now because one <clears throat> thing we talked about is transparency on artificial intelligence. And getting back to the fundamental right uh, issue, especially when you think about free expression and having access to information, there's uh, some tendency to have algorithms regulate that instead of that human control because you know companies cannot have thousands of people regulating speech <clears throat> online for example so in your opinion when you talk about transparency uh, what are the main concerns then regarding how much we can see the model working and how much we can have an f and um, some kind of effect on it well there's uh, many angles to that i think uh, one would be um Look, just looking at sort of the internal work at uh, in academia is that it's we we tend to be divided in, in in silos also in academia. So we have engineers on one side, lawyers on the other, and social scientists, you know, on a third. So one one aspect would be to just I, I see uh, I see a bridge to be built between sort of the engineering based explainability research, but you know, combined with sort of a those who study how humans behave or those who study how humans understand things. So explanations from a sort of a social perspective. So that would be one thing to, to just combine research fields. So we really understand how humans understand things and not just sort of skilled mathematicians understand models. Uh, so that would be sort of um, one of the challenges in, 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 in applied AI, you could say. So the things that happens, the application that, that, that happens on markets or sort of meet consumers. So we have to sort of um, focus human understanding. And, and we as humans who make decisions are always sort of stressed and we take uh, so many decisions in our everyday life. So we have to f understand that sort of environment to sort of meet the, the model close explan explanation uh, research. That would be one thing, but transparency for me is also, um, which is part of a paper I wrote last year, uh, uh, also sort of how data-driven markets works these days because uh, we are more um, you can't really separate AI first of all from sort of data-driven markets these days you can't really separate applied AI from how how digital we are these days because m many of the markets we sort of interact with as simple consumers are data-driven and we sort of provide with our own data to get services that are more and more individualized or personalized, right? So to understand explanations for transparency in terms of AI would be also to figure out what this sort of individualization or personalization means when we use social media, search engines or recommendation systems, which sort of 
these fields have grown for a couple of years, but we need to figure out sort of the aut automation in it uh, too. So that would be like the platform AI meeting consumers and figure out how to make that transparent enough, at least sufficiently transparent. Well, this is fascinating. You just opened a Pandora <laughs> box, but that's fine. That's what we're here for. Um, Frederick, you want to add? You want to add something else? Yeah, I mean, if we talk about transparency, I think there is, again, there is very different notions. I mean, one is the more technical version of transparency, uh, or maybe I should say the other way around. I mean, that Stefan is talking more about the, the what say, social, uh, legal perspective on transparency. If I, as a computer scientist, look at transparency, I can see it more as a technical challenge of, for example, saying that should we be open about what algorithms we use? what uh, data we use to train the system uh, and how do we build these? I mean, from a more technical perspective. Uh, and then actually, I think we have a very interesting concrete example of these deep neural networks, which are very popular in many applications. Uh, and the fact is that we perfectly know how these work. I mean, basically, they represent the mathematical function. So from a technical perspective, we can, we can explain exactly how they compute their answer based on their input. And we can also be explicit about here is the training data we used, here are the hyperparameters we used to train the system and so on. But still, it does not mean that we understand on exactly what pieces of what to say, knowledge or pieces of this input it actually triggers on. So we have these different abstraction levels. On a technical level, we can understand how things work perfectly, but then on the more social or uh, we say human side of things, it still can be hard to be uh, transparent exactly uh, how a decision is made. So I think that's very interesting. Um, to jump in here, um, from a sort of a regulatory perspective, I think it's um, it part of it boils down to how do you supervise markets? Because uh, if you can't provide with, you know, exact truthful uh, explanations for consumers because that would be too advanced or too much information you need to sort of have other levels to to make that supervision um for them in a sense i mean and we have structures for that we have consumer agencies we have data protection authorities so they i think their role for some of the applications would be to sort of assure that they are fair enough um, because consumers can't be, uh, you can't expect consumers to scrutinize every recommendation system or every search engine on every sort of applied machine learning product because that's, you know, too hard. So, but on the other hand, we have governance structures used in a similar way before. I mean, for example, how we, how we supervise cars that they, that they are safe enough or, uh, function well enough uh, we have systems on national levels for that too uh, and that wouldn't be that wouldn't mean that every consumer or every driver have to understand exactly how a car works but you need to have some sort of supervisory system that sort of looks at every car and say okay this is safe enough to for our you know given our standards to at least be part of traffic so you could have more of those sort of notions of governance on AI products without having to be explicitly transparent, transparent about everything. And besides, we also have legit interests in not being transparent when, when a company have sort of a great solution for something that they don't want to show for their competitors. So we should have, you know, there are other values countering transparency as well. 
Yes, and for us liberals, that is a great point. We don't want to uh, contain too much free initiative and, and people that want to come up with, with the new ideas and, and new systems. All right, gentlemen, we're getting closer to um, the end of our podcast, but there is one more uh, topic that I would like to have your opinion on because I see a lot of people asking that online and on forums of this of discussions of this topics and that is diversity and unfair bias again i'm going to ask you to start by for you giving us um, a good definition of what this means and also because we have a computer engineer and someone that is more related to law so again we can have different ideas but i'll start with you frederick how do you describe this then on the uh, on the computer setting on so, I mean, from a kind of computer science perspective, I mean, there are a number of different notions of uh, uh, bias. So, for example, you could say that uh, every, uh, every, what should I say, category of uh, population should have uh, the same outcome. I mean, so basically you can say, should we have equal outcome or should we have equal resources? So, if, uh, so if we have three units of resources, then each of us should get one. Or uh, you, maybe it's more that, uh, uh, I mean, Stefan is already well ahead of us, so, and I'm a bit behind, so I need two resources. You need one resource, and Stefan don't need any resource, and, and then we will reach the same level. Uh, so that's the kind of first <laughs> aspect of this. Um, but I would say in general, there are many different aspects of uh, fairness. Uh, and, and, and that actually comes back to what I said earlier, that I think one of the hardest problems is to agree what do we think is fair. Because, I mean, as I mean, Stefan also mentioned this, I mean, these are, new, these are not new discussions. Uh, but rather, these discussions are being, what you say, accentuated or uh, made relevant again, or not, well, but more explicit again, maybe I should say, uh, uh, thanks to these kind of developments. So, so Yes, there are many different ways of uh, uh, seeing uh, fairness. And uh, I, I would, in some sense, I would argue also, I mean, actually one interesting aspect is that uh, if we just define what we mean by fairness, then we probably can build a system for that particular aspect of fairness. Uh, but uh, we also might have the challenge of um, of uh, uh, that this changes over time and that then becomes a different group with a different perspective and uh, they, they, they don't have the same view. Oh, that was very rambling. I kind of lost the point, but uh, uh, hopefully you got some. Fine, don't worry about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I have a homework for you gentlemen and that is to find a philosopher because I, I do believe that we need a third voice, which is the one that says, well, Historically, this is how the discussions have been on diversity and unfair bias. But now I'll throw it up to Stefan. Stefan, what do you think about this two topics in particular? Well, I think that uh, it's a good point that uh, conceptually there's uh, been some difficulties in that we have sort of a statistical definition of bias and discrimination, but we also have a sort of a very much legal definition. And the legal definition is then, then discrimination is really bad. So, But I think that one of the key findings in this critical AI research is that um, we have, given that we have machine learning systems, the data is really 
relevant to look at. And and some of the outcomes when you have data that's more representative for white males, for example, then you get low precision on facial recognition for dark skin and women, right? That's some of the research. So that's number one. Okay, just to just to be aware of that, we have to, then we need to be more aware of what, what sort of data are we training our systems on, right? Because some of the outcomes could be really, by the, really um, hitting the legal definition of discrimination, which is um, unlawful then, right? So that's number one of the bias discussion. The challenging part, I would say, or the, the next step, which is really... Um, not so easily answered is that um, society is, uh, in this sense, uh, riddled with uh, with biases. We are discriminatory in our structural approach, right? So we don't have the same salaries um, uh, for different gender. We, and, and there's a bunch of these things, right? So the challenge would be then, okay, if someone builds a system or a platform that automatically learns from sort of the structures in society, um, just to be, you know, find precision or to target individuals with relevant stuff. That could be good for some cases, but I could also be picking up sort of the the bias things that are unlawful. So you could have, at worst case, systems that sort of learns from a discriminatory society and and sort of emphasizes that or even amplifies uh, racial or discriminatory values uh, in their sort of tool, in their application. And that's really... A, I mean that's bad, but that's a tricky question. Do you, when do you? How do you supervise that? How do you appoint sort of liability for systems that were not coded to be, um, you know, discriminatory in the, in a gender sense, but but ended up being that because of the data that is society is discriminatory. So that would be sort of a tricky question uh, in itself. So I think that would also be one of the things that we will find more as as we go along and use automated learning data-driven tools, um, we will see more sort of the tra- traditional biases, sort of the, the the way we've made decisions historically in a in a sort of a skewed way. Those things will be more and more apparent. Uh, and there's a bunch of examples on, you know, court judges being biased, but we haven't noticed it before some machine learning expert used the data and sort of found it. So we will see more of those things too. Uh, that would be stressful for the sort of uh, organizations uh, being um, exposed, right? So th- that would be more of a complex issue and boiling back to sort of also the need for more uh, joint work between uh, data scientists, lawyers, and social scientists and cultural scientists, I would say. So more interdisciplinary work uh, to figure out these things. But Indeed, and this conversation has been a good example of that, having you gentlemen here it's been uh, just eye-opening and uh, I'm going to throw it up to you, uh, Frederick, because you as one of the people that are actually uh, working with the machines, uh, the, the, the biases that societies have and how will that uh, translate into uh, the, the, the workings, the inner workings of artificial intelligence. So do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? So I would say two things. First, I would like to say that uh, there are some challenges like this, uh, we'll say that Stefan mentioned the first is with the, uh, that the face or facial recognition system work better for, for white men and worse, uh, not as good for colored women. And in some sense, that's a representation problem. I mean, that the data that we have do not represent reality. And uh, of course, that's really bad, but also that's easier to fix because in some sense, we just need to 
collect more data so that our data that we use to build the system is more representative. And hopefully over time, we will actually represent reality. Uh, but then we have a second challenge, namely those cases where reality is not the way we want it. Either because there are kind of structural discrimination as with the salaries and so on, uh, or uh, so basically, even if we had all the data in the world, or maybe even because we have <laughs> the data from the real world, mm -hmm. we find these uh, discriminations or these biases in the real world. And then we have the challenge, how do we deal with that? Uh, so in some sense, we cannot collect more data to get this to make this problem go away, but rather we have to have some active form of intervention. Either we need to change the world so that the world actually corresponds to what we want it to be, or uh, we have to manipulate the data so that the data represents the world as we want it to be rather than as the world is. Uh, and there we have to take this normative stance, uh, which I think will be very challenging for many uh, organizations to do, because then you also have to take the responsibility for that decision. Uh, and secondly, uh, I really think this is interesting when we start to actually analyze uh, not the intentions of, uh, say, companies, organizations, judges, and so on, but rather their actual behavior. And we find out that, wait a minute, there's something uh, fishy going on here. We don't want this. I actually think this is a really great opportunity for us as a society to improve that this actually gives us the means to detect when we are doing having these biases and to fix these in, in one way or the other. So I really see this as progress, which I look forward to. All right, this is great for me as a host because you guys are making more questions than answers, <laughs> which is awesome because it opens a discussion for a later um, for later opportunities. But now. Uh, Stefan, I'm going to throw it to you for also your final thoughts. I think it was it was very well put by Frederick there uh, that there are two different. I mean, these are two distinct and different uh, types of problems. Uh, but uh, on a final thought, I would say that um, this uh, stresses how we arrange uh, traditionally arrange research. Right? I would I think this stresses and emphasizes the fact that we need to be better at sort of linking these different types of uh, research disciplines to each other. That would be one. And the other one would be uh, to link back to transparency is that for us even to be able to figure out what type of challenge we are, you know, seeing with that particular application, uh, we need to, f we need to have um, good ways to supervise them or find ways to assess and audit them. So transparency would be for me, one of the sort of uh, one of the intriguing challenges that I'm personally gonna go for as a researcher too, uh, to figure out the ways to make it more transparent or a sufficient level of transparency. Because also to link back to sort of the framework of the ethics guidelines to make it trustworthy, right? We we wanna we wanna have uh, applications that are trustworthy. That is that they work well enough so we can get the benefits of these types of methods and technologies uh, and sort of avoid at least the worst stuff. Well, gentlemen, this has been fascinating and uh, this challenges this interdisciplinary work, this uh, um, need to come up with solutions, but the good ones. Uh, this was a fantastic conversation. We opened up a lot of highways that we can go into. 
and I would love to have you gentlemen back in the future to continue this conversation. But for now, I'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast and I'll hope to uh, have you guys back soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you like it, give us a five star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. We also have a new podcast, which is called Liberal Europe Podcast in Lockdown. And also to remind you that the European Liberal Forum is organizing every Wednesday a web seminar called Liberties in Lockdown. So please join us for that. And you can know more information on liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast, it's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. Mm-hmm.